from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the Jack and Spike Show. We finally know how much Alaska Airlines paid the people that were on the flight where the door panel blew off. We're going to get into that. Lottery winning. It's not really actually that amount <laughs> well, of money. A, you got four out of five. You didn't no, there's no Powerball involved in this number. There's a study in the Wall Street Journal talking about what your janitor knows about you and my deepest fear is now revealed. Church without God, how secularism is becoming a new kind of religion. But before we get to all of that, I was reading this article over at, uh, this is over at Como, but James is also, James Lynch has been in the field and he's also talking about yeah. this, about those emergency heating centers out there where we have homeless people and they go in and they can warm up because it's so cold that people could probably die. And I was thinking about the phrase, we live in the greatest country on earth, right? I've heard this phrase many, many times. Sure. I've, I've said it myself many, many, many times. And in it's, many ways we do, yeah. And in many ways we do. And at the same time, I find that to say that phrase on a day like today, in reading a headline like this, I find myself is a little difficult for me to actually say that. Now, you could be a glass half empty kind of person and you could say, well, at least there are cold weather shelters provided by these various organizations. Mm. But then when I actually look at the numbers, I see 33 beds, I see 45 beds, I see 250 beds. How many homeless people are in King County? 12,000? I think, yeah, between 10 and 12,000. I mean, it's an incredible number. And that's not not counting the folks who are living in cars. Living in cars. There's a lot of people this weather affects, yeah. Now, James had mentioned in his report that he just gave during the news break that about 50% of those people turned down the warming shelters, which I totally understand. I'm not talking about in improving this because, you know, people will pass away today because of how cold it is, homeless people. It's just an inevitability, right? No, you're right. I'm not talking about some huge socialist network to try to fix this problem. You know, we're just going to throw tons of money at it and then it'll go away. What I'm talking about, though, is that I think that in the United States we have a culture of individualism which has become perverted, if that makes sense. How do you mean? We're like even the idea of helping people that are at the very bottom rung of society is thought of as being right. We, there's a repulsion that people have to it. Yeah, you're right. And the example that I will give you is in the comments on this Como article, because I don't think that you should read on Spike. Uh, Okay. I was about to go ahead and take a dive into that swamp, but I won't. Well, again, you're terminally online and I appreciate you doing this. I don't have to, but I think that what, what we have is people say, well, I have mine. Why do I care? I have mine. And I know that some people are sympathetic, and I know that some people are empathetic, and I know some people are suffering from empathy fatigue. I know some people are tired, and they say, well, they're drug addicts, and let them do what they want to do, or whatever it they is. They made the choice to make me. They made, made the yeah. choice, and all this other kind of stuff. Oh. I don't know. I really don't know if we can say we live in the greatest country on God's green earth when there are people who are going to freeze to death in the most advanced, technologically advanced richest country on God's green earth, greatest military force on God's green earth. Oh, then think of the p- proportion of those experiencing homelessness who are U.S. veterans. Exactly my point, oh. my friend. And so when I read something like this, I, I tend to, to think about that phrase more so as a bumper sticker than in actuality. Again, I'm not talking about some massive communist revolution where we go around and say, comrade, what are you doing in the streets? Please come into the Soviet warming center and where we can give you your red flag and your little beret. You know what I mean? What no, I'm I saying, what I'm saying yeah. is that there is a, we are, we have become so atomized as a society that there are people who the idea that a human being will do die tonight because they are too cold doesn't even phase them. Doesn't even phase. Why? 
just what happens, right? And that I think is a real problem that needs to be analyzed. Have we had we've had our humanity driven from us? Let me say, I'll tell you why I feel this way because okay. we've been told that you know that person hates the country, that person is is yada yada yada. They <clears throat> they choose to live this way. They made the choice. Yada. Sure. We should be judged by how we treat the least among us. That's right? my point. That's my point. We should be, but we're not. And I think that that's something to analyze. Like, why is it that we have a we have a structure right now, or we have a culture right now that allows this? Like, you know, Spike, do you remember that I told you that story about that dog that I saw running around in that intersection? Yes. So again, yes, we're, we're no, I was a homeless person on the dog, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll get into it. So the King County opens an emergency. They've got a bunch of cold weather shelters all around King County. James Lentz was just talking about it. About fifty percent of the people offered these cold weather shelters have turned it down. So when I was living in Santa Cruz, uh, there was a, a bit of a kerfuffle. This is a couple of years back, but there was a dog running around the middle of an intersection, and people had stopped their cars. And they had people were on the phones with 911 and they were calling animal services. Right. And there was a dog was just running around. And I mean, there's probably a dozen people, maybe uh, 16 people, all attempting to help this poor animal. About 10 yards away from this dog is a homeless guy and his girlfriend, and they're passed out on drugs. Not a single person around those people. That is an issue. And I think that people have a resistance to acknowledging that, right? Where we would rather step over a human being, right? Yeah. Step right over them rather than say, geez, what can I do in my community to ensure that this does not happen? We don't really view them as human beings, right? We view them as maybe they're lazy or they're derelicts or whatever that might be. And that might be true. That certainly, and they, may, they might be bad people. Does that mean that they are undeserved of our compassion and our kindness? That is the question that somebody has to answer for themselves yeah. individually. Yeah. Here, Speaking here. of, by the way, church without God, how secular congregations feel a need for some non-religious Americans. Jacob, I hate to ask you a question right as you're lifting a sandwich directly into no, that's your right. mouth. Good luck finding a time he's not lifting a sandwich <laughs> with mouth. Jeez, what is it about everybody that we invite in here? They're always just eating. You, Laura... Chris, Martin. Chris, I Martin. think it's the nature of the job that there's not that many down moments. You're kind of just always so you gotta, eating. Oh, okay. You got to force that's, food that's w- in I, when you can. Are, you and I come from similar backgrounds. Have you gone to a secular congregation? Have you gone to like rah rah? We're good people. God not welcome here. Have you gone? To, um, you, I, I've I've gotten very close. Like the 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 churches that I have attended since becoming an adult. I think would be described the way you're describing them by the people I grew up with, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But there's still a, a little bit of a, a religiosity to it that it's not entirely uh, agnostic. I would say that people make like Foucault had this concept, Michel Foucault, who is often maligned by people like Jordan Peterson or other modern day philosoph- okay. philosophers because he was a postmodernist. He had this conception that any anything that human beings construct is either a, a prison or a church or a combination of both therein, right? Wow. That we always construct houses of worship or houses of restraint or penance wherever it is that we go. It's like a weird byproduct of our culture and the way that we perceive ourselves within that culture. So isn't it so fascinating that these new secular congregations are popping up and they look just like churches and they've got rows and you get a motivational speaker out there. Hey, everybody, we're good people. We can make good choices for ourselves, have healthy relationships, eat more apples, right? Like this is something that people, but in in a sense, it is the exact same formation as a religious event, only they cut out any of the scripture. 
I think it's unbelievably fascinating. I would even say that Weight Watchers, as an example, would be an, a, a version of a house of worship where we worship yeah, being okay. thin and I healthy. Could, I could see that. You know, right. There's the support system. There's the commonality of experience and hope. Exactly. No, exactly. I, that's a really good point of view. Look at the parallels between these things, my friend. I might even say that McDonald's is a house of worship. The iconography is everywhere. There is a ritual that takes place in a McDonald's. There is a procedure that happens as it unfolds in front of you. You are consumed. You fill your body up with poison, and then you walk out <laughs> thinking that you've had a nice hearty meal, right? This is... The, we have nothing but houses of worship. Open delusion. Open. All based on, yeah, McDonald's, <laughs> church, same bit. So, but, I mean, Spike, do you, you ever... Do you ever go to church? Do you ever get filled with the Lord's the, the the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus? When, Christ? when I was younger, it was a weekly ritual in our family. Uh, as an adult, I have not, and and I used to uh, then go on holidays or special occasions. I since have lapsed even there. No more Easter. No. No, no more Christmas. Nope. Don't. I haven't been in for. I couldn't tell you last time I was in church that someone we hadn't lost someone. How do you feel about service. turning your back on Jesus, Spike? I started it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, let's react to that. You know, here's the thing. I don't think I have to. I don't think I have to go into a house of worship. Yes, to have a relationship with my higher power. Well, the churches are more about your relationship with the people in that community, right? I mean, okay, this, it's fair really enough. Well, that's why so I have bars. I was going to say you, you probably replaced that community I, in your I, life. I was about to say the same. Yeah. I, I have. I know I have. When I go to musical venues, when I go to sporting venues, there's a sense of commonality and community there. That, I, to your point earlier about this this shared sense of loss. So, you know, we're all grieving today that we lost Pete Carroll and Kevin Kalen DeBoer in the same week. That sense of community is not that different from a religious gathering. Right. That sense of commonality in, in, in both joy and in despair. You know what I find fascinating about that though? Like let's just take that Pete Carroll it, let's just use that as an example. Pete Carroll is actually an avatar for people exploring deep philosophic concepts about the way that they see the world, the way that they perceive justice and injustice, the way that they process grief. Think about this for two seconds. <laughs> I could take the fun out of any sporting event ever, couldn't he? No, he's Because he's right, and I hate that no, he's I right. I have heard people discuss the loss of Pete Carroll. I'm sure that the apostles of Christ felt about the loss of Jesus. I'm just saying, people are talking Sam about Peter it. Peter be back in three days? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> He's coming back, y'all. He's risen. It. No, what I'm saying is that people discuss these these concepts and they have to externalize them onto somebody. Sometimes no, it's, you're, you're right. On sometimes it's Michael Jackson. Sometimes it's Pete Carroll. Yeah. And the weird thing about it is that because it's a parasocial relationship, mm. we don't actually know Pete Carroll. It is effectively a blank slate for whatever I want to put on it. I can put betrayal. I can put grief, I can put gratitude, mm, I can yeah. do anything I want with it, which is weird because normally that's a process that would happen internally. But in our modern age, whenever people see, oh, I don't know, who's a popular celeb? Like I had a girlfriend once who, you know, George Clooney was walking out of Hermes in San right. Francisco. She broke down in tears, couldn't handle it. Right. There's George Clooney walking out of Hermes. Now, I don't know why. There's nothing special about George Clooney. He's had, he had no effect on my girlfriend's life at the time. She didn't even particularly like movies. But there was George Clooney. So right. what was this? It was this religious outpouring that she had in the same way that when some people, when they're getting right with Jesus and they go to church, Mr. O'Neill, mm -hmm. like a good Christian boy, they feel the spirit of the Lord and they break out in tears. Thank you, Jesus. Only Jesus this time was George Clooney. Isn't it so fascinating? I find it to be.
The parallels are undeniable. Speaking of potential lords and saviors, janitors, there's this article out (laughs) in the Wall Street Journal, which is talking about what your office janitor knows about you, because what we throw away says a lot about us. Now, the women that clean Cairo Radio Studios, they know that I eat exclusively healthy trash, basically. I eat nothing but date bars and spin drifts and no candy in my... In right, my, in your waste Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's true. What, and they know that I'm also probably obsessive-compulsive because I take the wrappers when I'm done with them and uh-huh. I, I don't crumple them. I put them back into their original placement and place them very gently inside of the trash can because I think it's rude to crumple up your wrappers. Well, that's funny. No, I thought you did what, that out of respect. Yeah, well, I th- I'm thought- deeply ill, Jacob, please. <laughs> I'm deeply ill. I, th- I thought you did it out of respect to the janitor's crew because they take the wrappers out of your right, can. Right, that's and exactly save my them. point. They save them all. But this gets to my deeper fear, which I expressed to Jacob earlier, and he laughed in my face. He guffawed in my face as I told him about my fear, <laughs> which is that it is an unrealistic fear that I have, but out there in my mind's eye, I have often feared that there is a garbage person out there who has collected various and sundry items from my trash Uh and has made effectively a a shrine to me or an effigy to me, and they know everything about me. They know all about my steroids. They know all about my diet habits. Mm -hmm. And so they're collecting, kind of like Jeff Goldblum in The Fly, they're collecting all these little pieces (laughs) of me. And they just stare at them, right? Like, it, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I think the fact that you don't think there are multiple locations around the Seattle area that have these altars in their homes <laughs> to you. I'm I just think saying, it's naive of you I'm not think saying, it's a, they exist. Who's the most dangerous man outside of a man who owns a pig farm? It's a, it's a garbage man. <laughs> he knows everything about you. He knows that you haven't paid your taxes. He knows the IRS is oh coming after gosh. you. He's the most dangerous man is the garbage person. Do you, do you remember the, uh, I know you love movies. Do you remember uh, Breakfast Club? Yeah, yeah, remember yeah. the Janner Breakfast yeah, yeah, Club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all your secrets. I go through your lockers. I read your diaries. I try to know everything about you, little monsters. <laughs> That's what I I'm never saying. thought about that. That's uh, Jacob. Well, so here's the: isn't there? Uh, and maybe this is what you're self-aware about. But there's a latent narcissism to, to to you having a fear that anyone cares enough about your trash. How dare you? Okay. How dare you? <laughs> like, no. That was deep. <laughs> nice. Fist in the air, man. Hold on, I'm gonna give you this one earring. Hold on, because I love you. Okay, so it's not a real fear, Jacob, in the sense that (laughs) in the sense that I actively believe that there is somebody out there. Yeah, it is a it's an unsettling idea that you unsettling idea that you inspire people to that level. No, 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 no. no, That that somebody out there (laughs) would would have that level of obsession with another Mm. human being. Yeah, does that make sense? No, uh, absolutely unsettling. Did you guys ever hear, so Adam Carolla, who I I used to listen to all of the time, he's the reason that I got into radio, and he's my biggest inspiration, and in many ways I have like a weird thing where like sometimes I think of a joke and I go, is that a Carolla joke or is that a me joke? I mean, the guy is so ingrained in my brain. Okay. So he had this circumstance once where his stalker showed up to his uh, studio when he was uh, broadcasting down in L.A., and he brought that woman on air to because he thought it'd be a funny bit. And I heard that when they replayed the version of it on his podcast. And I remember thinking, there's no way 
that a human being could be that delusional about another human being. And the more I listened to it, the more I thought, wait a minute, is somebody that delusional about me? Because again, I'm a malignant narcissist. And then I thought, <laughs> what would I do if someone was that obsessed with me? Would I invite them on the show? Probably it's good content. But also... <laughs> would you juggle live grenades? Because it's good entertaining content? it opened up that world of possibility in the same way that when the Wall Street Journal writes an article about how snuveling show snow will give you a heart attack. <laughs> this of, is not the first time today. Wow. <laughs> give you a heart attack. Yeah. It opened up that realm of possibility to me where I thought this could now happen to me. And now oh. I live in a world of what I will refer to as latent paranoia. Mm-hmm. It could happen. Therefore, I'm afraid of it. Right. Yeah, if we keep doing our job right, it will happen. Yeah. Hopefully, one Hold of these on, days. Don't let go that dream. <laughs> there'll be a secular congregation built around collecting Saint <laughs> Jack Jack's yep. garbage. Yep, and then everyone will worship in the house Saint of Jack's me. house of worship. <laughs> exactly, where we all just don't make eye contact and ingest nothing but nicotine lozenges and caffeine all day, and then play Overwatch five hours every night. We all <laughs> gather. That's your form of worship: is Overwatch participation. His name was Jack Star. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ritual that you need to do. Right? So uh, so be careful what you throw away at work, people. Exactly. That's all we're saying. It's, Don't leave a trail. Be careful what you throw away at work and invest in a shredder. When we get back, a man named as Jelly Roll once ventured to the House of Congress to talk about something that everybody knows is already an issue, and for some reason, everybody praised him for it. I have no idea why, but we'll talk about the celebritification of politics and how a singer giving a speech doesn't really mean all that much. We'll talk about it when we get back right after this. The internet can be a dark and often dangerous place. Only one man has the courage to go where no sensible person would go. Jack Stein is terminally online. Terminally online, wasting my life on the internet so you don't have to jelly roll is the name of a man who he is a singer songwriter i think it's safe to say he's a rapper converted to country music he's right. a singer songwriter he performed i think at the country music awards he performed at the grammys this last year he's having a moment right and so he spoke about the importance of prioritizing the fentanyl crisis at a senate hearing on thursday here's a little bit of what that sounded like yesterday history repeats itself gentlemen Even in the 1990s, crack cocaine had long made its way into my middle, lower-class neighborhood. And at that moment, even as a teenager, you could have never convinced me in that moment that there would be a far bigger problem on the horizon in the form of a pharmaceutical drug. And then I watched opioids and Oxycontin burst onto the scene. I'm here to tell y'all that fentanyl is going to make the Sackler family look like saints. And I want to let y'all sit with that for a second. It is time for us to be proactive and not reactive. We were reactive with crack, we were reactive with opioids, and y'all are taking the first step at somebody in Senate finally being proactive. I truly believe in my heart that this bill, that this bill will stop the supply and can help stop the supply of fentanyl. But in part of being proactive, gentlemen and, and women I, and, and ladies, I have to be frank and tell y'all that if we don't talk to the other side of Capitol Hill and stop the demand, we are going to spin our tires in the mud. Y'all are taking the first step, but I encourage you to take it outside of this room and you take it to your colleagues and your constituents and you give them the most that you can. The Fentanyl Eradication and Narcotics Deference or Fend Off Fentanyl Act would wield financial sanctions against drug traffickers 
to disrupt the flow of opioids coming in from China and Mexico. Financial sanctions against drug traffickers. Do we send them a bill? I mean, what? <laughs> like, what? You're you're gonna financial sanctions against drug traffickers? Uh, well, I I can tell you where that the the onus of that effort comes from. Sure. When someone is involved in international espionage, international weapons trafficking, okay. from say, how many Russian oligarchs have we sanctioned? Well, not, right, well, right, but, but, you know, but, but, but sanctions but, don't work, my dude. They, well, they didn't certainly didn't work in Russia. I mean, you can still sure get they Dutch, have. Of course, you, they have. You can still get Dutch chocolates and Italian diamonds in Russia right now. Well, Everybody uh, who said we're backing out of Russia, they're finding other ways to get their their products. I think, I think maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I think what they're talking about is the key players, the oligarchs of Russia, who have had their assets frozen or sanctioned or not being allowed to U.S. U.S. banking. Um, facilities. I think okay. they're talking about the same efforts being made toward known financiers or traffickers of drugs, cartel members mostly, in, in Mexico and South America. Okay, so I would say, though, that if we're going to, to try to fix the, the fentanyl problem in the United States, it, it's, th- this is not going to solve the issue whatsoever, right? If you want to solve the opioid, opioid problem in the United States, this is going to solve the issue whatsoever. Well, different things. Fentanyl or opioid, different issues. But what's Fentanyl gonna... is an opioid, my friend. Well, I... Uh, it is, of course. I, I, pardon me for my I too have ignorance on the subject. I know you're much better versed. <laughs> for me, the opioid crisis was a matter of pharmaceutical misrepresentation. Fentanyl is a pharmaceutical, but fentanyl's opioid. not coming from from my doctor prescribing me fentanyl. Yes, fentanyl's, yes, fentanyl's coming yes, in from. No, no, no. You can get fentanyl from your doctor. You can get it easily from your physician. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew. I, I love that. having an expert in the room. I do. They use it. I mean, fentanyl comes in patches. It comes in lollipops. It comes in pills. They use them in hospitals all the time. Chronic pain patients use it all the time. So maybe, maybe I misunderstand the fentanyl crisis in general, which makes Jelly Roll's appearance even more beneficial. That eh. it, Doesn't it come more from trafficking through illegal means? Doesn't it come more from, you know, creation of pill presses in, 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 in houses on, you know, in our neighborhoods? Yeah, most of the fentanyl in the United States comes from China, despite the fact what many Republicans but want But illegally, to right? It, illegally. Yeah, illegally. Yeah, okay, that, it comes I, from China. I, okay, so we're talking about cartels sending it over here. Right. So, but like, I, when I when I analyze what jelly, it seems very sanctimonious to me. It seems very much so like, please, I plead with you guys to do something. Yeah. The war on drugs has not worked. I think you ask anybody, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, they will tell you the war on drugs has been abysmal. It doesn't work. Nothing's worked. You can jail these people. You can do sanctions. You can do whatever you want to do. None of it seems to work. And that's the thing that's really frustrating about it. And so what the most interesting part of what he said was we have to do something about the demand. But a lot of people don't want to talk about how you stop the demand for drugs, because when you start talking about that, then you get into really hairy topics about the way that children should be treated in a society. And then you have to start telling people how to raise their kids so that they don't end up in pain and in trauma, so on and so forth. And people don't really want to talk about that, right? Well, yeah. Well, you're also going to have to talk about a financial opportunities being available for people and creating those financial opportunities through government investment, whereas people don't have to turn to drug dealing as their only viable financial opportunity. Yeah, that's another big problem, right? Yeah. So the whole FEND thing, I mean, this is to me is like, well, let's divert money into another program that may or may not work. I guarantee you, I guarantee it, that if it was a federal law, that it was illegal to strike your child, 100% illegal, right? Mandatory jail time for you to strike your child, you would see narcotics rates or narco- the use of narcotics drop over a 10-year time span. Really? I guarantee wow. it. Wow. Every, so every heroin addict, on, okay, so you know what an ACE score is? You ever hear about this? I have. Adverse Childhood Experience yeah. Score. 
if you ask any heroin addict, any opiate addict out there, statistically speaking, the, the score goes from one or excuse me, zero to 10, 10, meaning you had a horrible childhood. I highly recommend anybody look this up. Most heroin addicts have an eight or a nine. All of them, almost something like 95 percent of them, physical, sexual, emotional abuse in the home. OK. And so really, if you want to talk about stopping the drug epidemic in the United States, it starts with, OK, so how do we raise healthy kids that don't rely on drugs to ha- have them give? OK, so the, the drugs serve a purpose for these people. They, they're not just doing it to get high. They're self-medicating. Okay. Largely, that's, that's very, very basic. Largely because of mo- bad mom, bad dad. Yeah. And if you look at it even further, what you will see is the majority of the time people who have opiate addictions or drug addictions in general, you're going to see mom or dad being abusive over a time span of about two to, two to five years, generally between the ages of three and eight. Now think about that for a second. We're talking about a child getting struck let's say once a week for five oh. years. And then by the time they're 18, what are they going to do? Yeah. They have no they're idea how to, they have no yeah. idea how to self-regulate. They have no idea how to control their emotions. They have no idea how to feel good about themselves. So what are they going to turn to? All of a sudden they try a little bit of, uh, I don't know, opium gets mixed in with their joint and they go, wow, that makes me feel good for the first time in my yeah. life. Yeah. And then they're going to go back to it. But here's the crazy thing. Every time I say, don't hit your kids, what do people say? My parents hit me, and I turned out great. I'm not talking about you. Yeah, I'm well, talking congratulations. You're one of the few that made it through. One of the few unscathed. that made it through, yeah. right? And so that if Jelly Roll had gone up there and he said, I want to encourage you guys to have a new law in the books in the United States. In the same way that it's illegal for you to hit your wife or strike your husband, it should be illegal for you to hit your kids. But he doesn't because he'd rather go up there and say, yeah. Guys, let's do sanctions against cartel members. Well, he did, he also said, "Let's talk the other side of that building too." He, he's. Uh, do, do you think it's okay for or, or celebrities have a place to use their platform to go speak? Does this bring any attention to the issue that's beneficial? I mean, it brings the wrong attention to it. Okay. Because, can you imagine if Jelly Roll had gone up there and said, "Don't hit your kids." Wow, what a powerful statement. Joe Biden doesn't say it. Donald Trump doesn't say it. Nobody says it, right? As a matter of fact, you watch Cat Williams' most recent special. He does five minutes on how funny it is. Do you know what I'm saying? This is a real issue in American culture. And instead of talking about it like adults, we go, let's sanction some Chinese criminals. It's not the issue at hand. We'll take a really quick break. We'll be right back. Spike has been obsessed with The Sopranos on TikTok. Because he doesn't want to sit through an hour of The Sopranos. So he watches 30 seconds of it on TikTok and gets his fix. We'll talk about it. We get back right after this. Spike, what phrase have I been using all day wrong and correctly? What have I been saying? <laughs> I'm so tired. We've been people out there snuggling show. Oh, you yeah. Keep, yes. I know. You Spinnerism. <laughs> I got dipsy doodleitis. That's awesome. I got the dipsy doodleitis. First, so I thought you were doing it in comedic sense because you did really it like thought it was intentional. many, many times. Yeah. I think that's the best comedy callback. I've, that's so, you know, that's so committed. You know, I sometimes the genius just flows through me to you, the you point where I don't even recognize yeah. when I'm doing it. That's what makes the master's. The masters, right? right there. Thanks yeah. so much. You right. know, I actually really quickly, uh, Governor Abbott's uh, uh, what he said is going across the Chiron here on CNN. He said that uh, Texas is stopping short of shooting migrants crossing the border because the Biden administration would charge them with murder if they did so. Which I guess is both a good and a bad thing because it's good that he recognizes that shooting people is 
is wrong and is technically murder. It, it, I'm hoping that's what he means too. Is that right. what he's saying? You know, we wouldn't, we don't shoot people because they were charged with murder. Right. He's saying we don't shoot people because the Biden administration were charged with murder. Because right. <laughs> right. it is. So, and uh, I, I think that that's a little, uh, that's a little frightening. But the other thing, I got to correct myself yesterday because yesterday I had misread. Uh, I, I was being critical of Ron DeSantis, and uh-huh. I said Ron always says that he Florida was the first state to open up its businesses and its economy. Right. And then I said, technically that goes to Abbott. I was in wrong. Texas. I was incorrect about that. Technically it was Brian Kemp who made the decision oh, to in open Georgia. in Georgia. Oh, and okay. then it was Abbott following the lead of Brian Kemp. And so I, cause I, I thought, I, I think I should probably look into this a little bit more. Let me look up at that, the date. That's, that's onerous of you. I well, like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, Good well, job. onerous means burdensome. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Means, I missed for you. But I think it's important me. to self-correct, especially, you know. If Accountability. There you well, go. Well, yeah, because it, it, to me, it's just like, well, let's look into this. Because I was, I was like, it's got to be Abbott, right? Because that's I remember reading about Abbott. Getting into it with the federal government, we're talking about lifting the the san- or the, the closure restrictions, right, right? Which which DeSantis is taking credit for. He's championing on the on the campaign trail. Yeah, technically. So it was, wasn't just liar; he was a double liar because he followed both <laughs> Kemp and Abbott. So the Sopranos is on TikTok, which is weird because people have been editing these clips down. Now, the Sopranos episode is about fifty minutes to an hour long. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. And it's the 25-year anniversary of The Sopranos coming up. I can't believe it's been that long. And people keep cutting these episodes up into 25-second episode edits. Mm-hmm. Spike can't stop watching them. I don't know why you just don't crack open your DVD set and just watch the episode yourself. Well, it's it's funny you mention that because as I stroll through different feeds and you get lost in that you know wormhole of, of looking on social media feeds like TikTok or Reels, whichever one it is, um, when you get a 25-second bite of Sopranos, it's everything you want. You don't have to sit through a whole hour. I can I can get all the joy of watching Meadow tell Tony about how Coco flirted and insulted her at a restaurant, and he goes and curb stomps the guy in 25 seconds. Why would I waste a whole hour just to you, get that little juicy sound You're going to miss Edie Falco. You're going to miss all that other, I, you know what I mean? No, I, I get it. There's there's so much more to it, but I guess it's it's like a highlight reel. You know, I could watch a whole game or I could watch a highlight reel. And, they, and they've and they gone through and taken the best little clips, this one little little magic moments of the show's writing and acting. Okay. And they've put them together and they, and they bop around from whether it's Paulie and Tony on the boat after they whacked, I can't even say his name, you know, he was because he was a rat and they threw him overboard. And the next time on their boat, Tony's like, I don't know, Paulie, did you think? And Paulie's like, you Tony going to kill me too. It's 25 seconds. It's all right there for me. <laughs> I'm just going to, I like, I'd rather listen to Spike reunite. Talk about the Sopranos. Spike on TikTok just doing yeah. 25 second reenactments I, I don't of think Sopranos. We, do we need to listen to the clip? I don't think we need no, to I listen think we, to it. Well, you got one. And I can tell you what, like, well, what the whole got, episode was about. We only got a minute and 15 seconds Sorry, I blew all that time just Living my magic no, moments no, of mobster I'm, I'm love. I'm happy for you. That, but that... this, it's a double-edged sword. Like all tools that can be used or abused, right? Yes. I can watch the best highlights of these shows I love, but then again, I've seen so many highlight moments from Yellowstone. I don't have to watch the show ever. I know every great you know, scene that's ever happened in Yellowstone. Pretty soon, all it's going to be is people are just going to be watching the very end of the opening sequence. Got yourself a gun. And, and they're going to be like, that was a great episode. Yeah, yeah. That was a great episode. Wasn't there a TV network that started showing just little condensed versions of shows? We'll and never failed know. Here, <laughs> Sorry. Coming up next, John Curley, Sherry Ellis. I'm having so much fun, I don't want to stop. Here, my friends, is your quote of the day. Nice shooting, son. What's your name? 
Judge Engeron, which, by the way, sounds like a Star Wars general, right? Engeron? Yeah. Got a big squid head? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> keep, your, keep your client in tow. <laughs> <laughs> 